A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hello and welcome back to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Rachel Moss, Metro's lifestyle editor, and today I'll be co-hosting with Mel Evans. Hi Mel, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Hi Rachel. Um, So... As you said, I am from Metro. I am Metro's uh, partnerships and projects editor, and I look after a whole cacophony of things, one being having the great job of being able to jump on board Mentally Yours with you today. Beautiful. Well, Mel does do a a (laughs) load of different things at Metro, which is kind of why I asked you to co-host today because we're going to be talking about what I like to call head girl energy. And I might be jumping the gun, Mel, but I kind of think you might be able to relate to this too. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but head goal energy is something that I think has underscored my whole life. Um, and fun fact, I was I was a head girl. So oh, there I love you go. That. I was I was just a wannabe head girl, which I think is even more painful. I think we should <laughs> probably kick off the episode by actually explaining what head girl energy is or what it means to us, because it's kind of a made up phrase. I don't even know where it came from, but it's something that my friends and I sometimes talk about. For me, head girl energy is basically perfectionism with like more than a healthy dose of ambition. So if you've got head girl energy, you are probably a chronic overachiever. And I feel like that sounds like a humble brag, but it's really not. Like you were probably really conscientious at school, like to the detriment of you having fun and being a kid. You have probably carried that energy into your work life and your personal life, like to the detriment of your mental health sometimes, your work-life balance. And I think maybe it's a bit gendered as well, but I'm sure we will get into that a little bit later. Um, Mel, does any of that resonate or what does it mean to you? Sadly does. And I love that you say um, conscientious because I remember that being written. I don't know if you had them at your school, but in it might be an Aussie thing, but we had these um, recommendation cards effectively that our teachers would give us. And I remember everyone that I would get would say conscientious. And I never knew what the word, what nine-year-old knows what the word conscientious is. So I always grew up thinking, oh, I am so conscientious, having no idea what it meant. And then I got older and I took it as a badge of pride. But now that I'm an adult, uh, it it gets in the way of so much because I'm just a chronic people pleaser. 
Um, and it's so funny, like, I- I'm sure, you know, we will dive into it even more, but so many examples where I think I'm helping and I get to the end of it and I'm like, what did I get out of this? Like, what, what, where am I in all this? I've helped other people, which is a nice thing to do. But the people pleasing really plays into it with this head girl energy idea. Absolutely. I 100% agree with the people pleasing. I do that a lot as well. I think maybe for me also, I was thinking about this ahead of the podcast. I think like social class comes into it a bit and there's that side of things. I think if you've grown up in a family with a working class background, like for myself, it was, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be the first one to go to university. You're going to be the first one to get a professional job. And it was amazing that I had that support or my parents had that kind of ambition for me, but maybe I have carried it a little too heavily at times. Um, so I definitely think that might be a factor as well. Oh, absolutely. I can so relate with you there. I don't know how we've never spoken about this, but yeah, I was the first one to to go to university in my family, um, my immediate family. And there is this constant sort of, you don't want to let anyone down, even though just the fact that you got to university is such an amazing thing if that's what you wanted to do. But for me, I couldn't stop there. You know, it was like, okay, well, I must continue to succeed in everything that I do. And if I don't, it is I've let everyone down around me, even though that is absolutely not the case. And I think my mum would be just absolutely chuffed if I, you know, didn't go to university. And if I was passionate about anything, I don't think it would matter. But it, as I said, underlines everything. It really does. It really does. But look at us now, Mel. Look at us now. Um, (laughs) Exhausted. (laughs) Exhausted. Yes, absolutely. So I'm really excited to find out where Head Girl Energy actually comes from. To get to the bottom of it, shortly we're going to be joined by Dr. Tara Quinn Chirillo. She's going to be talking to us about Head Girl Energy, perfectionism, and how to deal with it better. But before that, we've been hearing from all of you. Mel, do you want to contribute? What have you been doing to look after your mental health this week? I have been trying to take breaks where I can, even the smallest little break. Today, I didn't have time to have a lunch break, which I know is a very bad thing, but I still made sure that I took time away from the computer. I, you know, just tuned out for for moments and made sure that even though I have a super, super busy day, I wasn't getting to the end of it, feeling absolutely exhausted. Lovely. I today I'm gonna treat myself to a nice bath later because gross, I'm really stinky. My boiler's been broken, but it finally got fixed this morning. <laughs> so I cannot wait. And here is what you've all been doing to look after your mental health this week. My favourite thing this week has been just getting in the sea. Beautiful thing, just getting in the water, feeling the waves, feeling that rush of chills when you first get in and you feel so good afterwards as well. The way I support my mental health is going to regular Zumba classes. If I've had a bad day and I go to Zumba, I always feel happier and I absolutely love to dance. The music is amazing and you'll feel incredible after. I recommend everyone should give it a go. My approach to mental health has changed recently due to becoming a mum within the last month and it's meant that I've really had to prioritise the small things just because time is quite limited at the moment so I make sure that my partner and I plan for me to get at least 10 minutes in the garden on my own ideally longer than 10 minutes but you know at least 10 minutes and I get to sit there particularly in the beautiful weather we've been having recently um with my sunglasses close my eyes with a cool drink and that has just been really helpful for my mental health particularly at the moment 
Hi, Tara. Nice to meet you all. Hi. Lovely to meet you. Welcome to Mentally Yours. Uh, Tara, do you want to tell us a bit about you? Oh, hi. So I am a psychologist. I've been around quite a long time. I specialize in working with adults with mental health issues, but also adults with disabilities, in particular um, late diagnosis of autism. Um, but I'm also a bit of a philanthropist as well. So I run a community project helping people kind of feel better, tackling loneliness, isolation and emotional health issues as well. And do a number of other humanitarian things as well. Amazing. Um, with all your expertise, we were very excited to get your take on what we're calling head girl energy. At the start, Mel and I were kind of trying to figure out how to put our finger on what this actually means. Because when I said it to Mel, she was like, I know what you mean exactly before we'd even discussed it. So for Mel, it was more about people pleasing and perfectionism. I had a hard relate to that, but also said it's also about ambition, being someone who feels like they need to achieve, achieve, achieve. But where has that come from? And sometimes it's to the detriment of your own mental health or your own well-being. I just wondered when you heard that term, head girl energy, what sprung to mind for you? Like, what does it, what does it mean for you? I think old school kind of came to mind for me in terms of when I was at school, we had head girls and head boys, and there was quite a lot of pressure in terms of how they choose you. So for me, it's something about what you stand for, what people are seeing and how you deliver in terms of results. Um, And then when we kind of look at everyday perfectionism, I think it's very much that we get tied up in cognitions around, I need to be a certain way. So if I'm head girl, I've got to be this certain standard and maintain it as well. I don't know about you, what your thoughts are. Oh, I so can relate to that. I was saying before, I I was a head girl. So there you go. Says it all really. Um, But it's such an interesting note you say about it's the results and I feel like, because when I was head girl, you know, you do a speech and you sort of, you explain what you can do for everyone and then you have to deliver on that or feel like you have to deliver on that. And I still live by that, you know, 20 odd years later where I'm, okay, I want to set out to do this. A normal person might go, oh, if I don't achieve this, it's fine because I did A, B, C, D. Whereas I would go, but I didn't do, you know, E, F, G, H. It just, it just snowballs. Um, yeah, I'd love to know though, why, why can, or why is perfectionism problematic? I think for me, because it's a bit of a, there's, as a psychologist, there's a concept and we can break it down and help people understand what happens in our brains in terms of what perfectionism is and how it shows up. But I also think that society, social media in particular, has added a new element to it. So certainly when I first qualified, perfectionism wasn't spoken about hardly at all. Um, and now I see it all the time on social media and newspaper articles. Um, and I think, you know, fast-paced society, there's lots of things that have changed changed over recent years, which I think have now made perfectionism more mainstream in terms of conversation. I don't know what your thoughts are. So, you know, the concept itself has been around for a very long time, but it's just, I think that more people are now recognizing the the role that society is playing in our expectations of ourselves and others. Because sometimes people think perfectionism is just about your own standards, but actually what you can do is put your perfectionism onto other people as an employer, as a parent, for example, in many different settings. Mm, yeah, absolutely. We were going to ask you actually how you deal with it in other people. So if you're not somebody who hard relates to head girl energy, but you've got head girl energy coming at you left, right and center from a colleague, how how would you deal with that? It's so difficult, isn't it? Because sometimes we can be in control 
of how we behave, even though our brains might be telling us you need to respond this way. As you say, you have done A, B, C, D, but you need to be doing the rest of the things on the list. But it's harder to have control when it's somebody else, isn't it? Especially if it's an employer, because there are a lot of other boundaries there, aren't they? I have to adhere to what this person says. So it depends how much autonomy you have and how much you feel you can carve for yourself. So if we go and maybe look at an employment setting, for example, you know, how able are you to put in boundaries with your employer? Just because somebody is your boss doesn't mean that you have to do everything they say, she says. (laughs) There will be little snippets of autonomy that you can have. There will be boundaries. It doesn't feel like it sometimes in some organizations. And we know there are some very high pressure jobs where it can feel impossible, but it's about looking at where do I have control? Because the thing about our brains that will always go straight onto, I don't feel like I have any control. And that's what can cause the anxiety, the panic, and then actually kind of feeding into what you're being asked to do, burning yourself out, becoming overwhelmed and then burning yourself out. Um, so it's looking, it's, it's assertiveness, for example, you know, saying, thanks for asking me to do that. Can I get back to you on that thing? Or I'm just working on this thing at the moment. But they're quite cringy things to say, aren't they? How many people feel they can say to an employer or somebody who's quite, you know, sometimes people can be quite, you know, dominant personalities. Let's put it that way. Are we allowed to say that? And it can be hard to take those people on, you know, when they've gone, we think, why didn't I say I'll be with you in a moment, for example. You know, I always love to have the what I call the open plan office argument. So if you're in an open plan environment, which is very commonplace these days, isn't it? People can just wander over your desk. And if you're in the middle of something and someone comes over, you're not just going to ignore them, are you? But, you know, if someone's in an office with a door, you'll knock or you might think, oh, they're in a meeting or they're on the phone. They look like they're busy. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll send them an email to book in time to talk to them. But when we're in open plan offices, our boundaries change because people come over to our desk. And if you've got, a, you know, someone who you feel quite intimidated or you feel that you're not in a position of power compared to them, you're less likely to want to put in those boundaries. And you might be more likely to find yourself going, yes, yes, I'll do that. Um, and adding to that to-do list and becoming overwhelmed and possibly burnt out. I think also because we're so used to communicating, especially over lockdown, over instant messenger or over Zoom or, or, you know, with our videos off, when we're now in person again and someone is asking something of you in person, it's so much harder to say no because they're right there. And I know with myself, you don't want to, I hate confrontation. I would just rather pile it onto my to-do list than have an awkward moment. Whereas if someone does it to me, I almost respect that person. Having, I'm a bit jealous. I don't have those boundaries myself, really. Um, but that's that adds a, another layer as well. Now we're all back in the office and communicating face-to-face. And I think there's almost two sides to there. So typical psychologist is going to throw a spanner in the works. You're absolutely right. It's much easier for most people to be assertive through an email. Or, you know, you can you can press pause, for example. In a real life conversation, you can't just, there's no remote control like the movie Click is there where you can just press pause and go, let me think what I need to do to reply to this. So you may find it easier to put your boundaries in or to even take time to think about how you want to respond. But at the same time, there's no human being. There's no human element there in the same way as there is when you've got someone in front of you. So what you can find in some situations is when you're reading the room, so to speak, you're looking at someone, they look really burnt out and frantic. Their desk is full of papers. It might, with a little M, make you think about, do you know what, I'm going to ask this person to do something. Maybe, oh, they look a bit busy. Is there someone else I could ask? Or shall I take a pause and come back later? So there may be kind of two sides to that possibly. I don't know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that. Something um, that Mel and I were talking about at the start is that 
this isn't just about workplaces though. Like for us, we have been chronic head girls almost from like, I don't know, from primary school, from such a young age. I remember being, for want of a better word, like the SWAT in the class, always needing to achieve, being that little kid. Where does that come from? Is it nature? Is it nurture? From your perspective, I'd be fascinated to know about that. And also if there are certain groups of people who are more prone to that feeling than others? So many good questions there. So what is really interesting, so when you look at current research, so if you were to scroll through Instagram or even go into the Google vortex and look at who's more prone to perfectionism, what will come up is women over men. But actually when I did, and I did this this week really for this podcast, did an in-depth research. Um, and actually there are only a couple of studies that show marginally more women than men experiencing higher rates of perfectionism. Um, but when we look at demographics, actually younger people, um, so, you know, school ages, school leavers, teenagers going to college, university are actually quite a susceptible group to perfectionism. They're the group that have spent many months. So our generation maybe haven't grown up so much with social media. We're just the other side, aren't we? Um, you know, they are surrounded more with social media. So that's some of the current thinking as to why they are so influenced in terms of how we should be. And you're absolutely right. It's not just about your achievement academically or in careers. It's about parenting. It's about whether you can parent and have it all and run a business. It's about whether you can have side hustles as well as being at uni. There's so many different examples of how that perfectionism can show up. You can do this. You should be. How you exercise, you know, your body should look like this. You know, you should be able to do this and eat like this and manage your career. So there's so many things there. Um, so demographic wise, it is quite interesting. Um, but I know there are a lot of people out there who support high achieving women. So we do know that that is an area where people self-report that they struggle with perfectionism and higher rates of overwhelm and burnout because those things are really closely linked. But when we look at experiences, so if you imagine that computer between your ears, that brain, it's really good at soaking up experiences right from the moment we're born. So it will soak up experiences and it will weigh them up and it will pay close attention to the things that keep us safe. So if we've ever gone through experiences in childhood where we've been told we're not good enough or that failure equates to something negative, for example, that's the kind of stuff that we store up. So what we're looking at are examples where you may have been in an education system where you've had really strict teachers or they've had really rigid rules around how they see achievement, for example, but also your parenting that you've been, you know, the, the environment in which you've grown up with or your significant caregivers. You know, if you have parents that are over critical or perfectionist themselves or putting that onto you, you know, I've got a B in my test. It's a shame you didn't get an A. You know, those things might seem quite small, but actually they mount up. And what our brain does is absorb those things. So if it's also equated with punishment, for example, so if you've had a caregiver who, you know, you don't get so much attention or love if you're not doing so well, or that criticism means there's rejection, that's the kind of stuff that we store up and go, we can't have this happen. Your brain doesn't want you to have those horrible experiences. It wants to keep us safe. And sometimes then it gets it a little bit wrong. So psychologists like to talk about the fact that the brain sometimes then will overly read situations. So you might develop what we call core beliefs or core rules for living. I must be, you know, in order to achieve, this is what life must look like. I must be able to do X, Y, Z. People will love me if I do X, Y, Z. So we kind of develop these little rules or we call them cognitions um, that navigate our life. And the problem is it can kind of be a little bit like a snowball where it just gathers more and more pace and we 
we can find ourselves, what we call behaviorally. We start doing things. So the behaviors are things you'd see or hear. Our brain is telling us, I must do this. I must perform this way. And we find ourselves getting really caught up. And that's where the overwhelm and burnout can come in because we spend more time, more effort, you know, giving more energy to things. So, you know, there is some, you know, tentative research around there that certain personality types might be more susceptible to it, but there's so many different schools of thought on whether it's environment, whether it's part of your kind of genetic makeup, your personality. I remember my mum was so proud of me once for not doing my homework that she put the detention slip that I ended up getting for not doing it on the fridge. (laughs) So (laughs) mum was trying to uh, unhead girl energy me a little bit. (laughs) I think one thing that's really important to bring in is that perfectionism is not the same as achievement or high achievement so you can set really good goals for yourself and you can want to achieve those certain types of GCSEs for example or A-levels in order to get to uni or you can set yourself goals in terms of what you want to do career-wise perfectionism is when our cognitions are dominating our thoughts are dominating in terms of how I must be if I don't spend five hours a day working on this particular project I'm not a good employee or you know if I don't achieve exactly 10 A stars at GCSE I'm not good enough rather than I want to go to uni and I need certain grades but there may be some flexibility in those grades and the university letting me in so it is really important it's not about you know moving away from achievement we can set goals in life but it's it's those cognitions they can be really hooky or sticky you know and the problem is we put more and more effort and energy in and actually what can sometimes happen is we actually move further away from goals we could become burnt out um you know become snappy that's a sign of perfectionism showing up there's so many little hidden signs of it um and sometimes you can be so consumed with what you're working towards that you lose sight of all those other things, the other valued things in your life as well. Mm. You've you've mentioned the snappiness there, which also relate. Um, are there any other kind of like warning signs that perfectionism is going down a more toxic route, that your conscientiousness has got out of hand or anything like that? I say look for the emotional health. So there's, you know, the kind of signs in terms of, you know, if you take the average, I'm using young people a lot here because actually it's quite a good example, quite good concrete examples for people um, that, you know, somebody may be studying for exams and need to spend a certain amount of time in their room doing that studying. But what you might find is that they're starting to miss meals because they feel they haven't done, they're more guided by rules. So if I haven't done that, you know, eight hour study today, I am a failure or I'm not going to achieve rather than I've studied for my geography or I've studied for this today. I've done as much as I can. Now I'm going to come down for a family meal, for example. So it's looking for changes in behavior. So that irritability going along with other behaviors, such as pulling away and withdrawing, not coming and having meals, not taking regular breaks when you're studying, for example, or, you know, in an office work situation, you may have a certain deadline with an an article that you're writing, um, but you may be so concerned about the grammar and dotting the, you know, I's crossing the T's that actually you don't have lunch or that you become snappy with colleagues if they say, how are you getting on? So it's looking for those kind of, it's a myriad of things that show up, but also the emotional health stuff people that are starting to look fatigued people who are having poor sleep they might be turning up late to work looking really drowsy at their desk they might be low in mood really high stress levels um changes in their eating habits so if we're stressed sometimes we eat loads some other people they start to cut back because they lose their appetite so it's looking at that really holistic 
picture. And you, as you said before, Rachel, I think it's really important that if your work environment is already quite toxic, so if it's an environment where everyone says yes and they keep going and they stay late and they work at home, those things are harder to spot if you're just looking for things in isolation. So I always think it's really good to look at that whole picture. You know, people that might not be doing anything at the weekend or you notice their emails they're sending to you at all hours of day or night or they reply straight away. You know, that's a lot of people with perfectionism will feel, oh, got to reply straight away. They might have rules about how they respond. If there's any spelling mistakes, they might recall an email, for example. You know, it can be really intricate in ways like that. Rachel and I actually spoke about that earlier because I didn't take a lunch break today. So there is head girl energy in action as we speak. Absolutely. And pressing pause. One of the big things that you can do for perfection is, you know, psychologists, we love to do something that we call psychoeducation. So it's really good to go in, you know, do strategies. And there's loads of things you can do to help to start to address perfectionism. But if you don't recognize it and recognize the symptoms and then press pause to go, what do I need to do about this? The strategies aren't going to work in the same way. You need to kind of understand what we call in psychology, the formulation. What do I need to do here? You know, and where do I need to start to make changes? Because quite often people don't recognize in themselves. It might take a third party to say, how are you doing? You know, how are you checking in? And if you don't have a manager or a system that facilitates that kind of communication, it's not going to get picked up. And it is less likely that you'll pick that up in yourself as well. If we're... Not going to aim for head girl energy. I think we've kind of covered that that can have some toxic sides. What attitude to life in general do you think people should be aiming for? So not head girl energy, maybe not, I don't know, class clown at the back energy. <laughs> is there something, is there a middle ground you think we should be settling for? One of my favorite words, values. So, you know, I think in Britain particularly, we're really goal orientated. You know, when I leave school, I want to do this and then I want to buy a house. And then when I've paid off that credit card, you know, life's going to be great when I've done all of these milestones. But if you can come back to what I call the layer underneath that, our values, the who, what, when, where, that's really important to us, that can really guide you because it can still help you in achieving things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be an achiever. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have this certain career, but it's just about what it costs you. Um, So if your value is, you know, I really value being a journalist and I really want to be, you know, head of this department because I really value taking this particular publication in a certain direction. That's fantastic. So you need to look at what you value rather than just your goals. You know, so it's looking at how do I want to be as a manager? How do I want to be when I'm working with other people? How do I want people to treat me? Those are all the really important things. What do I want my balance to be in terms of my home life versus my work life? So those are the things that will guide you when you're going to pick up your phone and maybe check that email while the kids are quickly playing or while you're on date night or you're in the middle of a film or something. Those are the things. Actually, what do I value here? I really value being present in this moment with my partner, for example, or I'm on a walk with a friend or I'm out with my kids, whatever it is. Um, I want to read a chapter of this book without my phone going ping, ping. It's being able to recognize. So it's that press pause that I talked about earlier, being able to go, look what I'm doing here. Picking up the phone, I'm going to recheck that email that I sent to make sure that it was okay. Um, come back to what's really important. So that can be things like you know relationships, your career aspirations. It can be your kind of personal development. It can also be your kind of leisure, hobbies, and interests. The other things that are really good for our emotional health as well. Um, and and you can't do that if you don't press pause. So the difficult thing with perfectionism is 
admitting that you have it <laughs> you know being able to recognize it and going do you know what maybe I need to take some steps here to have a look at this and create a shift I love that I also think that something I've done recently is is just almost take delight in not replying to messages quickly because I used to be the kind that someone messages me bam you get a reply straight away but now I've almost shifted to the opposite where it might actually take me days to get back to you I need to almost bring it back I'm going to the back of the class now as Rachel said I'm the clown at the moment I need to move a few rows forward um but it's a really tricky thing to do when you're so used to working a certain way you almost go cold turkey and you're like okay I need to bring a bit of that back to use that maybe as an example if that's something you want to bring in how did you do that for the first time so if you're really used to being someone that replies straight away and you might notice how your body feels if you haven't you know oh it's been 10 minutes or I should do how did you first begin to kind of lean in to what you notice and not hit reply straight away can you remember oh to be completely frank with you I had effectively just burnt out in all areas and it it became almost an apathetic action. I just stopped caring. And I know that sounds really sad, but when I stopped replying, I realized the world doesn't stop spinning if they don't get a reply to this message that just says, you know, hey, how are you going? Or are you free? You know, next week, something that wasn't super, super urgent in that moment. And what it moved from apathy to almost just freeing and thinking, okay, they, they don't, that person doesn't get back to me automatically. So they're obviously not going to expect an automatic reply from me. So the more I thought about it, the more I became better, you know, sitting with a reply for a little bit. But as I said, then, you know, an hour turned into two, turned into a day. Cause I was like, this is amazing. I don't have to go on my phone right now. Why doesn't everyone do this? I think that's a perfect example for people to hear because there might be loads of people listening to this podcast going, this is me and I do need to make a bit of a shift, but where do I start? Because it's quite scary. And if I throw in something else there, the, we like to call it the control agenda. So I'm thinking, you know, with you, what might your rules have been about why you need to reply? What might happen? What, what is the fear? And that's all part of something that we call the control agenda, which is what keeps us in these behavioral patterns. I must reply or, you know, I must have done so many hours on this particular project today or, you know, I must have attended every meeting and not been late. Whatever those rules are that are, that are guiding you. Um, is If we're able to lean into this, there's a little bit like what we call graded exposure. If you have a phobia, for example, you'll very gently spend more and more time with the thing that's fearful. And that's what we do with perfectionism as well, in a way, is trying to lean into some of that difficult stuff and then challenging what you think is going to happen. So you mentioned there, actually, you know, I did start to notice the world didn't end. So did you have cognitions about, oh, this is going to be awful or my job's gone, I'm going to get fired or whatever those are. We need to help people lean in. And that's the tricky bit. You've got to know what those cognitions are. What are those rules? What are those fears that are keeping you in these behavioral styles, replying, burning out, staying late. And as you say, you know, you were able to kind of look, there's your experiment. That's what we do with perfectionism as psychologists. If people come to work with us individually is we try and do little tests and it can be really scary. But once you start to notice, actually look what's happened, that fear thing doesn't happen. And what have I noticed? What did you notice? So the more you went on and you've got into this new habit about how you reply, have you noticed anything else? Is it opened the pathway for other new behaviors or how you feel has that changed I feel like it's it peaks and troughs it goes in waves sometimes at work I'll be really 
wanting to make sure I leave on time. Other times I'll stay back hours and then I'll get home and I'll think, oh, cool, I'm home right in time for tea. No one knew, like, what, what, again, like, what has this served me the purpose? You know, what has this brought to my life except shaving off two hours that I don't get to spend with my partner? So some weeks I'm really, really on it because again, I realize that the world doesn't stop if I, leave a few things for the next day to tackle. No one's chasing me up because everyone else has finished work. They're gone for the day. Um, So some weeks I have to say I'm really good at it and some weeks I fall back into old habits, but I figure it's a journey, right? Absolutely. And I think that's really good for people to hear that this isn't about, you know, dealing with perfectionism. We don't want the perfectionism to show up in how we manage our perfectionism, (laughs) ironically. So we don't want to be this tick box. I must now never do this anymore. And this is how I do things. We're human beings. We will get hooked some days, but also we want to have a nice level of autonomy. So you might have a deadline for a really important article that you're doing. And you might think, actually, do you know what? I've got the capacity today, feeling all right. You know, I'm not overwhelmed. I can physically stay. I'm going to finish it. I'm not particularly feeling unwell or anything like that you do a little check-in I'm choosing to do this now but you're mindfully doing that it's not the situation dictating all your fear thoughts and you're coming back to your values you're able to go there actually maybe that decision meant I didn't get to spend time with my partner which I really value Um, and just being kind to yourself there may be days where we get really hooked with our perfection it's about recognizing it so it's not always how you respond to it it might be that you send that email straight away be kind to yourself. It's being able to recognize and go, let's just see if I can unhook from those fear thoughts that what's going to happen and see whether I can try and behave. And that might be just leaving that email for one minute before you reply. And then you might think, I can't, I can't do any more. And then gradually, as you said, you build it up, didn't you? So that's what it's about. It's kind of gentle, you know, being the world is pressured enough. And if you're someone who perhaps perfectionism has dominated for many years, which can often be the case, it's not that easy to just go, all right, I'm going to stop doing these things. So test it out. We call it kind of leaning in. Feel all the feels and some of it might be really uncomfortable. You might get that. I think we did an article once, didn't we, on recoil. Do you remember the kind of cringe, psychology cringe? You know, that oh, sometimes there's actually a physical. You might even see someone sat at their desk like, I'm doing it now, clenching my fists because we just are so hooked with those fear thoughts. Um, so it can take a while and being kind to yourself, but also just talking about it. We're having conversations about it now. Talk about it with colleagues because one of the things that I did want to say today is that there's individual things we can all do, but it's the kind of wider society and that wider society starts with the workplace, you know, tackling culture in the workplace, having these conversations, having wider conversations with your friends and family, looking at how we all talk and use social media, for example. Those are all the things that will help make a core shift as well. Absolutely. And from everything you've said, I'm thinking sometimes it's not that hard. It's not that easy, sorry, to to make a change because of comparison as well. You look at other people and you say, well, if she can do it, why can't I do it? So I think that for me is a big part of it. Do you have any advice on dealing with that side of things? I think social media is a real big player there um because you know i look now and they must target of course they do to you know they almost know exactly who you are when you log on you know that you can have it all so i'm a parent of of two kids um i really value being there today you know sports day so i was like i need to be there need to do that but at the same time i'm bombarded with these adverts of you know you can have it all you can run your own business and you can do this and sometimes you're faced with people who actually might shame you judge you you know oh you didn't get that email to me in the end 
or you didn't manage to do that or oh I've managed to do this and this and this and bake a cake for the cake sale and do all of these wonderful things so it is really hard and I think that's really good we need to be vulnerable and go do you know what I might be working with someone who is at the desk and you know doing everything but at some point, the human body can only take so much. So those people might look on the outside. That's always a good thing to question. Somebody may generally be looking like they're doing it all, but we don't know what's going on underneath. We don't know the impact of that stress on their body and on their mind. They might not just be showing it. It sounds a little bit like that's not much to say. Just talk about it. But trying to normalize, that person might need permission themselves to press pause, put on the brakes as well. Um, but that's why I think, you know, dealing with kind of shaming culture in the workplace, particularly all around parenting. That's an area where I notice perfectionism showing up these days, you know, have you done all of this incredible weaning? And then, you know, is your child learned to read and write at the age of three? And are they doing all these wonderful after school classes? And, you know, some days I'm barely checking parent mails and, you know, my kid's the only one not in their own clothes on the school path. Cause I've forgotten, you know, that's where perfectionism can really show up. You can walk to work feeling I'm a really rubbish parent because I didn't bring the cake in today because I missed that email or I saw it, but I was so overworked. I didn't actually digest the content, you know? So I think trying to tackle the culture, you know, social media, people hit like on everything, don't they? And, and taking the time to go, look, is this really what I want? Is this really what I want life to be like? And is that person that looks like they have it all on social media really happy? Or are they secretly overwhelmed and perhaps heading towards burnout? They always say, don't believe everything you see on social media, but it's so hard not to. It's everything that we see. And I mean, I know I put quite a curated, you know, you put the highlights reel on there yourself. I love that. Uh, Dr. Tara, you have given us so many nuggets of wisdom and this has been so helpful. And I'm sure Mel and I will both go away and try and put some of these things um, into practice. But before we let you go, we've got one final question that we like to ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is the most important lesson that you've learned about your mental health that you would like to share with the Mentally Yours listeners? That you don't have to be seen to do it all. So it's it's an apt one, isn't it? Because we're talking about perfectionism that sometimes as a psychologist, particularly you people have this misconception that we know everything and we do everything and we don't get burnt out and <laughs> we don't forget to look after ourselves, but we do. So I think for me, it's, it's that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to get things wrong. It's okay to have days when you're not looking after yourself. We're human beings. And I think being vulnerable is really important. And that's what protects my mental health. You know, I don't want to put loads of energy into seeming that I've got everything right all the time because I don't <laughs> I really don't it's mentally 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 yours mentally yours mentally yours thank you so much to Tara for being our guest this week on mentally yours Mel I don't know about you but I learned a ton that was amazing yeah that was <laughs> a really great chat I will see you on our next long lunch break. (laughs) I know, right? And then we'll leave on time work together as well. We have a plan. Okay, this is a promise. We cannot break it now. And thank you for listening (laughs) to Mentally Yours, everybody. If you've been affected by anything you've heard today or need any help, please call the Samaritans on 116123. You can find us on our Facebook group, Mentally Yours, and on Twitter at MentallyYRS. And get involved. Tell us what you've been doing this week to look after your mental health. Message at Pineapple Audio Production on Instagram with your voice notes. 
And thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to follow and review for more podcast episodes coming your way soon. Mentally Yours is produced by Pineapple Audio Production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.